Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to What a Load of Cobblers, the Hampton Town fanzine reborn in podcast form. I'm Tom Reed, and joined again by Andy Roberts, chairman of the Supporters Trust. Hello, Andy. Hi, Tom. How are you getting on? You're right. You're on lockdown, keeping sane. Yeah, just about. It's difficult, isn't it? But yeah, just about preserving my sanity. Yeah, uh, there's not much football-wise going on. Um, you were Cobbler's reporter in the good old days of the 90s and um, you uh, covered today's Boot Room special guest, who is uh, Gary Thompson. Hello, Gary. How you doing? You all right? Yeah, yeah, very well. We've, um, we've, we've talked a bit about old memories on on the podcast and uh we had uh, a guy called chris freestone on recently it was a yeah, like, uh, yeah after uh, after you but yeah he scored a couple of quite a few important goals for cobblers but um we we're going to talk today about your your varied career and your time at northampton which culminated in a couple of trips to wembley so uh yeah it's perhaps we'll start with your early career because before you came to cobblers you were uh, quite a few teams and had a lot of success, scored quite a few goals. Um, was Coventry City your first team you played for professionally? Yeah, yeah. I joined Coventry as a kid, uh, 14 years of age. Myself and a kid called Paul Dyson, who ended up playing for Stoke and West Brom and Coventry as well. Um, and Paul was at the same school as me. So I've known Paul since we were 11 years of age. I played yeah. against him when he was 10. He beat, he beat, not beat me up, but everything I tried to do he had an answer for, so I tried to, I went to, re, I resorted to violence, which is usually my default, and uh, he did actually beat me up. So that was my first meeting with Paul. I went to, we went to secondary school. Uh, six months later, I meet the same guy, and I'm like, not him again. And we became yeah. best mates. And um, next five years, we played together football, cricket, athletics, doing a full bit. He went to Coventry. They asked him if they knew anybody that else that was decent. Paul mentioned us, but uh, he told us that he'd mentioned us, but Coventry never did anything. Then we played in England schools trophies and we got through to the quarterfinals and they took myself and a lad called Malcolm Percival. So we all ended up at Coventry by the time we was 14, 15. So yeah, that's, that's it all started. Coventry's my first club. Um, ended up with but a you're, a, you're a Birmingham lad, aren't you? You're a Birm- yeah, Birmingham yeah, yeah. lad. Birmingham's, uh, you know, sort of the centre cent of your football world to an extent and it became the centre of Cobbler's football world under Atkins because what we refer to as a Birmingham Mafia turned up a lot of uh, yeah, well, players I mean, I, Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when, I, when I first went there, 
I think by the time Akers was there, he, he, he was obviously there a few months before me. By the time he came, Danny O'Shea was there. And then by then, most everyone he's bringing in had a Birmingham City connection. He likes the Clarkson, Frayne, Dean Pierre, Jason Beckford. All these lads, uh, Tatey came in as well, Johnny Gale. And everyone seemed to have some kind of connection with the Blues. So we're all like, this place ain't, ain't supposed to be full of blue noses. Oh, you know what? This, this club needs people who've got, um, as you say, bottle and have a go and determination and that. And to be fair, if you look at Northampton playing, and Andy will tell you over, over the years, Akers was manager, probably yeah. not um, aesthetic to look at. I mean, on the on the eye, wasn't pretty, I think, but very, yeah. very determined. You could see it was a team that played together and pulled together. And like yeah. Akers, what he did then, he pulled together a crew of like, average players really but turned him into something yeah uh, I think there was a a lot of experience Atkins Atkins liked experience and he liked yeah uh, bringing together a, a team that he he knew would would go out and do the business um I think that before we get to that I think quickly go back to your your formative years you were because uh, it was just quite it's really interesting actually you were at, uh, Coventry City for you know about five or six years, ninety-seven. Yeah. Sorry, uh, seventy-seven to eighty-three. I think you scored a fair number of goals, about thirty-eight. Uh, you know, according to what I can yeah. find out. Uh, was Jimmy Hill the manager then? Jimmy Hill was the chairman. The chairman. Um, well, he was he was vice chairman. Phil Philip Mead was the chairman. Jimmy Hill was the uh, vice chairman. But Jimmy Hill was the driving force behind everything. We ended up. Um, I don't know if you remember. We had uh, there was. Uh, Talbot Cars. Talbot was a big company next to us, like Matthew yeah. Ferguson. We ended up having cars. Obviously, he brought the brown kit out, a yellow kit as well. We had a red, we had the sky blue one. Uh, Jimmy Hill was an innovator, very intelligent man, very clever man. And uh, he was uh, he was the driving force behind Coventry at that time. I think we had the all-seater stadium as well, the first one. All that sort of stuff. That That's at Jimmy's door. Jimmy was a very, very clever fella. He was, he was a moderniser. Do you remember, uh, Andy, you remember that, that period, that brown kit that uh, that uh, Gary's talking about is a bit of a, a yeah uh, a, a, yeah I mean that's the, that's the bit that sticks with me from Coventry at the time and and that sort of shirt design really sort of characterized yeah. um char- characterized it to to be fair um I spent you know my main sort of recent memories of Coventry um I remember going to Highfield Road a few times when I was still covering Luton and of course then they got to the eighty seven Cup final. Um, and uh, I think it was David. Was it David? Uh, David Pleat was Spurs manager. I can't remember. Was it? Um, John Sillick. John Sillick. John Sillick. Oh, George Sillick were the managers there. Yeah, yeah uh, that's right. At that point, uh, Gary, weren't you uh, playing for the England under 21s at that point? Uh, yeah, I played for the under 21s. Um, I've been called up by then. Um, obviously, played. We, I think we won the European Championships, um, our group, as it were. And um, then some of them obviously went on to play. Sammy Lee went on to make his full debut. Uh, a few of us played the under 21s and the 23s, and then that was it for us. But uh, we, as as an England group, it was very, very, very decent outfit. Like, yeah, and um, you, so you were sort of your career was expanding really, really quite quickly, doing well at Coventry, and you know the England guys were looking at you, and uh, but then you were yeah. you had to you were. Your, your sale was full through, wasn't it, to, to West Brom from commentary? You didn't really want to go, apparently. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, a year before, I think Leeds and Arsenal were coming for me. And Jimmy Hill had decided that, because commentary was always renowned for selling his best players. At the time, 
I was regarded as one of the better players myself, uh, Hately. But we had a good young side. That team yeah. coming through was decent. And um, he just decided, no, we won't sell anybody. As the events transpired, they'd lost a lot of money in America. And um, then they had to sell a year later. They're looking to sell. Got the phone call. You've got to go to the Albion. No no intention of going to the Albion. The wife was pregnant. Um, yeah. Moved into a new house. Quite happy where we were. Basically, if I didn't go, the club was going bankrupt. So that was it. We ended up going to have a chat. Still have no intention of signing, signed. And um, to be fair, in in hindsight, it was the best thing I could have done. I ended up playing with Sir Regis, Gary Owen, uh, McKenzie, um, some very, very good footballers. And then um, my career sort of moved on from there. Like. Cyril Regis, an absolute legend in the game. And if you were going to go anywhere um, and, and play with anyone, what, what a player to play, play with, to learn from, just a legend, I think. Yeah, I mean, I saw him... Uh, as a kid at Coventry, obviously, they beat a 7-1. And I'd seen him, obviously, score the goal against uh, Norwich, where he turns a fellow and runs about 20 yards and smashes it in for about 35 yards. And yeah. from then, the legend's board. But he was just a different type of centre-forward. If you watch the way I played and I'd get hold of it, I'd link the play, I'd get far post, I'd go and head things and that. He could do all of that, but he could also come deep. But once he got on the turn and started running at people, he caused problems. And like, yeah. uh, he's just a different type of striker. But as a geezer, when I went, uh, Laurie Cunningham, Sir Regis, Brendan Batson, the three degrees, they were like the main men. And as black young black kid uh, at that time, you're looking up to these sort of players and then yeah. to like, go and work with him and find that, because they always say, don't get near your heroes because they're disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. I got to meet him and he was the loveliest fellow ever. He took me under his wing, um, taught me to drink and um, <laughs> took me out an awful lot. But, uh, yeah, fantastic fella. Um, but look, had time for everybody as well. I mean, like, He's one of them that if you sat with him, you'd feel it was just you and him talking. Like he'd pull me, and he'd, I mean, there's pictures of us playing together now, and I can hear him saying, that, "Big man, calm down. Big man, be cool. What's the matter with you? There's, there's no need to get all riled up." My, yeah. my nature to play, I was an aggressive man, but uh, yeah. Cyril was the calming influence. What I needed at that time, he's perfect, and he taught me an awful lot football-wise. Yeah, I guess um, as a uh, as a striker, that it's good to be calm too. You need an aggression, but you need that that calmness to be able to finish the chances and stuff. And maybe that's what Cyril was trying to help. Yeah, yeah was, it was right. I mean, I, I was like a bull in a, a, a china shop, but I just wanted to go smash things and score goals and anything because that's the way I, I'd always been brought up to play. And yeah. um, I wasn't that skillful, but I was aggressive. I was powerful. I was quick. But when I got with Cyril, he showed me that you can do all that, but if you do it in a calmer way. The chances are you score more goals, which I did at the Albion. I scored a lot of goals, um, but playing with a calming influence. And um, you, you scored a hat trick, didn't you? I was, I was reading your, uh, you know, your, your write up and stuff. You scored a hat trick against Nottingham Forest, and uh, yeah, yeah. Cuffy played a little trick on you. A nice one, it turned out, with the nick the ball away from you, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Because um, I, I always I got loads of braces at Coventry and the Albion, but I never scored three. Anyway, we played Forrester one day and Paul Hart is playing centre-half for Forrester. Me and Paul Hart, who I got to know at Sheffield Wednesday a couple of years later, who was the loveliest man ever, he, he was at me and we were at each other all the time. Get me a trick. I'm made up. I'm flying to the referee, want to get the match ball. Get the match ball. As I'm walking off, Cluffy grabs it off me. And like, because he's Brian Clough, you kind of don't want to, you don't want to kick off like. And yeah. he's disappeared with the ball and that. And like, I've gone in, Johnny Giles is doing the, the debrief after the game. And uh, Cluffy bowls in with the um, ball, and he's had it signed by all the Forest lads. He signed on it. Brian Clough, be good. And and um, then it went round all the Albion. And the funny thing is, Giles, our gaffer, never said a word, just allowed him to come into our dressing room, 
get everybody to sign, then gave me the ball. And um, it was it was just a nice touch. It's a I lovely gave touch, the ball to the lad who ended up booting it all over the place. <laughs> Cluffy was known for those sort of things. And I bet you what Cluffy was also saying is, this guy's had the better of you today, you know. I'm going to yeah. show you up a little bit and, uh, you know, give him his dues. And next next game, you go and try and score a hat-trick. That's the sort of stuff he used to do, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the sort of nature about him. He's always unpredictable. We played uh, years later. I played for Palace. At, uh, well, I was a sub at Palace and we played Forest in the uh, FA Cup. And we'd had two or three replays or whatever it was. And the last game, because he hated the way Palace played, they were beating us 1-0 and I think he brought off um, little Mr. Steve Hodge who played for Villa with me to be fair. I shouldn't forget his name. He brought yeah. Hodge and left them down with 10 men just to prove a point for the last 10 minutes and they still won the game anyway. <laughs> uh, Andy, have you, obviously you, uh, you you know a lot about football in those days. Uh, Cluffy was a, le- a, le- like a legendary figure with a lot of his stories. Did you hear that story about, um, I think it was Mark Crossley, the goalie, annoyed Cluffy in one of the games so Cluffy told him to go turn up turn up next day at his house and yeah. he uh, yeah. uh, turned up next day at his house and he made him play in some like pub league on the Sunday <laughs> I haven't heard that from, to be fair but I mean there, there are so many great stories about Brian Clough aren't there I mean I never really um, got to uh, meet him or um, get in close company with him really but what a fascinating bloke he he was. Yeah, uh, and then um, Gary, you you um, you went on to Sheffield Wednesday, as you sort of did at the time. You you moved on a little bit uh, quite frequently yeah. for quite a fair whack. I don't know the actual um, transfer fee, but on Transfer Mart, which is this thing on the internet, it says about seven hundred uh, seven hundred thousand Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, they, the, the figures never meant anything to us because we were never involved in it. Um, no. The figures sorted out between the clubs. Um, the figure, I think Lineker went for more money than me that, that summer. Obviously, that, that year, Lineker ends up playing in the World Cup and scoring goals in uh, 86, the Maradona's uh, World Cup, as it were. But uh, Lineker got the golden boot. Um, mm. I went to Sheffield Wednesday and the club was, um, how can I describe it? Got a physical club, but a very, very good football club and that, and old and that. Yeah. But Howard Wilkinson, he wanted to play a certain way. I did the year with him. We got to the League Cup semi, League Cup, FA Cup semi-final, and uh, I think we finished third in the league. But because of the high school thing, we couldn't obviously go into Europe. And then he'd had the offer from Aston Villa, which is the club I support. And um, yeah. as I said at the time, like Howard rang me up from Mexico, and he said he's had this offer um, from Aston Villa. And even though my first year hadn't gone as brilliantly as I wanted it to go, and not play that position, but I hadn't played where I wanted to play. Um, but he was teaching me different styles of play and different things, uh, learning about the game. It's, he sort of said, well, we've had this offer, you can go if you want or stay if you want. And that's the first time I've had anyone talk like that, as if, like, you know, do what you want, really. And because yeah. it was just that, that made me mind up. If he'd, have, if he'd have said, look, we're building something here, blah, blah, blah then I'd have fought long and hard about you. But because he was so matter-of-fact about it, I'm like, ah, right, I'm off. Yeah, that's understandable. And it's your uh, childhood club, even though that you're not actually from a villa area, are you, in Birmingham? You're from her. No, no. Blue I'm Nose from, area. Yeah, uh, King's Heath, which is pure blue nose. So, I mean, the only, it's by chance I ended up a villa fan because I got into football and then my uncle just picked me up one day. I'd obviously been caused the right problem for me old lady and just took me off for the day. And we caught a couple of buses, ended up in Villa Park, watched the game, had a good time night. 
And um, every now and again, when I behave myself, he'd take me down. So I've, I've done a couple of times over the years. And then mm. um, my old man took me to watch um, when they brought Santos came down with Palais and that. And um, I think that was yeah. uh, 74. And then obviously I saw Palais play there and Coutinho and all that. And that was me done and dusted. That was, that was I read about this. Life. And uh, I read about the, um, in a previous interview, you said you went to see Pele play yeah. uh, Villa v Santos. And I was like, this, surely this never happened. And I, I Googled it and it's like, yeah, it did happen. It was like a, right. a big, friendly, massive, big, big crowd. And yeah. uh, Pele graced, graced uh, Villa Park, is it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, because we'd all seen him in the World Cup. It was like when Pele's coming to town and the old man kept saying, if you behave yourself, I think about t- me and my brother, I, I, I think about taking you down and we pester him. And then one day, so I were... I'd obviously be at me and my brother come out of school. My old man's waiting for us at school, picked us up, got on the bus, went down to Villa Park and um, got there. It's a night game and night games at Villa Park are absolutely fantastic. Remember getting off the bus, you could smell the hot dogs, you could hear music blaring out and it was uh, Steve Arley and Cockney Rebel. Caught him see me, make me smile. Walked down, yeah. watched the game. Obviously, I think the generators went out for a bit as well. Villa won the game. It's obviously been fixed and that, but uh, Villa won the game. And uh, that was me as a Villa fan, done and dusted. I think that's uh, all you know. That you don't get much more of a better introduction to a football club than, um, than Pele. So I guess oh. we will let you uh, be a Villa fan from a, a Blues area. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> playing for your the club that you love must be just a beautiful thing. And uh, you managed to score two in, in a derby against uh, Birmingham. At Birmingham, wasn't it? It was at uh, yeah. St Andrews, which must have been amazing, 1987. Yeah, yeah. Well, the first year I go to Villa... Um, when you're sometimes when you're a fan, but you're busy playing, you don't take as much notice of what's happening at the club. And yeah. Like, so I just get the chance to join Aston Villa, and it's only then I get there, we start training, then you suddenly realise things aren't quite as they look. And then yeah. um, we've ended up having a, a good players, a terrible run. We've ended up looking like we're going to get relegated. I've got an, an injury which was never treated properly, so I've been out for the best part of nine to eleven months. Um, that summer, we, we get relegated. Graham Taylor walks in, gets rid of an awful lot of players, brings in yep. uh, hard work, a bit like hackers, hardworking, honest players you can rely on to get six, seven out of ten on the, yep. every, most weeks. And like um, the, we started on our way back, we played Blues at Villa Park. It was my first uh, derby as a Villa player, but I'm injured. So I'm in the box with Gary Shaw watching the game. Blues beat us at Villa Park. I think it was 2-1. And it was a horrendously bad day. A few months later, I'm actually fit now. I played the game, and it was at St Andrews. I score two goals, and it was it was it was a retribution, but it was just a beautiful moment considering what had happened for the past year, eighteen months. Like so, yeah, as a Villa fan, that was fantastic. There were two so, headers. Uh, I watched the video back. I think you scored two two headers yeah. in yeah. that game. Yeah. Uh, what what you'd call, I guess, putting yourself about a bit and just getting in the right place. Yeah. Two good. I think the, the first one was a lower header and the second one was a bit like a more of a higher one. But um, the atmosphere in those days was pretty, I wouldn't call it like sterile like now in like a lot of games. There was a proper atmosphere in a, in a St Andrews stadium, which doesn't look anything like it now, really. It was a uh, yeah, proper oh, yeah, dark. Yeah. Call it. Yeah. Between, between Villa and Blues, there's always feeling like, I mean, years later when I was at Cardiff, I remember Villa playing Blues and it was the day Dr Dublin got sent off for attacking Robbie Savage and I'm saying to the lads you want to watch this this is a proper derby and later yeah. on they saw they seen it on the sky or whatever and they said oh yeah one bad that the atmosphere for them games is frightening it's intense 
And like um, like you say, the first goal I've scored, Vince Oberson's centre half. He's trying to kick the head off. If he goes to attack the ball, he clears the ball. Yeah. I'm only watching the ball. It's only when I see it later. I'm like, but uh, I, I, it's a diving header. Kevin Gage has knocked the ball in for both goals. So if you read Kevin Gage on Twitter, he's forever taking all the credit. Apparently, I'll <laughs> just be around there. So, but yeah, I mean, it was a fantastic day. Great atmosphere. And it's what you want at Derby. I mean, yeah. the football probably was absolutely brilliant. But uh, as a Derby day, it was a fantastic day. Gritty sort of game. Uh, yeah. game. So, did you have um, did you have Stuart Gray in your team then, or was that later? Was that later on? Yeah, Stuart, you know? Stuart Gray was. Uh, yeah, when was um, fact. No, Stuart. That's Gray, the Stuart wasn't Gray. It? Stuart, Stuart Gray became Cobblers manager later on. Yeah. That's yeah. the same guy. Yeah. Yeah, Stuart Gray. He came in. The, I think it was the February March. We signed him and Andy Gray. We played uh, Bradford away. Uh, Steve Staunton that was a left back on loan from Liverpool, making his debut. We beat him 4-2. And that was the day we knew as a group that we had a very a great chance of getting promoted. Stuart Gray and Andy Gray, they brought Andy from Palace. I think Stuart came from Barnsley or Bradford or something like that. But mm. Stuart was a cultured, left-footed midfield player. Very, very good footballer. Yeah, like you say, Cobbler's manager as well. He was a very, uh, very good, very good manager for us. He was, a, I think he was a coach at uh, Southampton as well, but he probably yeah. put, he put together one of the best uh, Cobblers teams in living memory uh, a few years ago in about 2000. Um, so you were, you had uh, Mike Waters in that team as well, is that right? Yeah, Mike Waters. I don't know if they show it on Twitter. Mike Waters was uh, one of his usual tricks. I think uh, Spinksy smashed the ball. Mike Waters pulled it out of the sky from 70 yards, but I think Ray Ransom was trying to mark him and Ray Ransom got right tight with him. And while he flicked it round him and gone round the other side and sped off towards goal. I remember, even though the heat of the battle, it was myself, I think it was Birchie next to me or whatever. We started laughing because Wally used to do that sort of trick a lot. And Ray Ransom had played for England under 21s, so I knew him well. And he'd mugged him right off there. And we ended up like killing ourselves laughing because uh, <laughs> it was sort of a trick only Wally could do in the heat of a battle, a derby match where people are going absolutely mental at each other. And some of the abuse flying around for the fans, the players, yeah. it was it was intense. And for him to just pull out a trick like that, it was quality. Mark Walters um, was absolutely a brilliant player, like so skillful. Yeah. Andy, do you remember? Um, I don't know if you were you were playing at the time, Gary, for Villa, but um, Villa played Northampton, didn't they, Andy, in those times with Mark Walters? Yeah, they did. January 1983, it was a FA Cup third yeah. round game at, at Northampton, and Walters scored. I think it was the goal of the season. Um, Turn A.D. Burrows, the Cobblers' defender, to edge of the box and then pulled one in and. Um, Villa won one nil. I don't think um, this was eighty three, Thomas. So yeah, I, I wasn't there. No, I saw it in the telly. No, great goal. It was, yeah, it was, and of course Villa were European champions at the time. That's right. Yeah, I think Withy and Shawy played up front, but I think I saw it in the clip on Twitter the other day. Wally's bit of skill for the goal as well, and that sort of thing yeah. is what he could do. Like I mean, the kid, even as a young kid, we all knew this kid was coming through a bit. Like when Jack Greer said he started coming through at Villa. You know yeah. about this kid. You wait, well, let's see what he's all about. When you see him, you, look, you say, yeah, he's, he's the, the real deal. He's got a bit about him. Yeah. yeah. Such a good player. I was standing on the hotel end that, that day and, you know, 21-year-old. And it's it's something that just sticks in your, your memory, as you say. Yeah. Just watch a, a great player with a great bit of skill win a game of football. Well, your better players are the ones that are your great players who can do something. Might not do a lot during the game, but they do something in the game like it sticks in your memory like 10, 15 years later, then when you're top players because they, 
Mark Walters pulled somebody out of the bag that none of us can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he was, uh, he was the sort of player that people pay to go and watch. And, yeah. and as, a, yeah. as a football fan, they're the sort of players that you know I want to, I want to see. Um, so, um, Tomo, you uh, you went up then, on, you left Villa and went to uh, Crystal Palace uh, under Steve Cop. I went to Watford first, then I went to Palace. Um, I ended up uh, the Palace thing. Steve Coppel, um, he only Ian Wright had broke his leg, and Palace were in danger of going down. And he, he contacted me um, just before the wind transfer window, asked me to join. Um, they've agreed the fee with Watford. I've gone down there, and basically the deal was there was eight games to go to the end of the season. Needed the centre forward, score the goals, or be part of the team that can stay up. And then we can we'll sit down later and decide what we're going to do. And um, yeah, I'm yeah I had that all day. Joined joined them, joined the loudest, funniest dressing room I'd ever been in. Like Crystal Palace <laughs> is like it's like I say. I mean, I say it and people take it the wrong way. But a black club. It was just it was like going into a, a club, a nightclub. It was like loud, bubbly. There was music blaring. You couldn't get a word. I mean, I'm I am quite loud, but even I was quiet there because the dressing room got Ian Wright, Mark Bright. John Salaka, Richard Shaw, Andy Gray, the, the black Andy Gray, Jeff Thomas, Alan Pardew, Andy Thorne, and Nigel Martin, Andy Woodman, and, and Mark Dennis, the lunatic, was, was there. Um, Eddie McGoldrick there? Eddie McGoldrick? Eddie McCod- yeah, Eddie McCondrick was there as well. Eddie was there because he comes from Northampton, didn't he? And yeah, like, yeah, he um, did, yeah. Eddie, Eddie become good mates. We, we saw, Eddie's a good lad, to be fair. But uh, yeah, we had uh, all them sort of players in it. Be, Ian Wright played in the we stayed up. Ian Wright played in the come on in the cup final, scored the two goals. Ian becomes a sort of legend. And uh, then we go away on holiday. Uh, we Palace, we do a tour. And that's when Coppola asked me and I decided to stay for a year. That's when I say I should have stayed, I should have left because I lost a year by because obviously right and bright were playing. I was 29, 30. There's no way I'm gonna play regular. And uh, so I, I lost a year of my football career, but it was a fantastic football club. And in, in a way, the trade-off was enjoy my life, enjoy my time. And that's when nice, I first yeah. got into working yeah, with, with young kids because I played in reserves a fair bit with Alan Smith. And um, all of a sudden, and Col- uh, Collie Moore come into the mix as well. And that's when all of a sudden, not passing bits back, but I learnt, I, I'll, I'll be helping the kids. We'll be playing reserve games. I'll be helping them still for the first team. And bit by bit, that's how I started thinking about getting involved in the, the coaching side. So that was the time when you were, you were thinking more about the next step in your career and just being smart and just thinking ahead a little bit more. But your career wasn't actually at the at a high level, wasn't finished because you played, then went on to QPR in the prim, in the first season of the Premier League, didn't you? You were at yeah, good level. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the Palace thing, I, I'd had a year where, and I knew in my heart I had to go. And from the Christmas onwards, I knew I had to leave. But it was then finding, I was 30 years of age or 31. Then I was, I was, I was aging centre forward. And like, I didn't, particularly when I dropped down. I was enjoying what I was doing at Palace, but I need no one need to play because my nature is I gotta play. And like yeah. uh, Jerry Francis, who I'd known as a kid from Coventry, gave me a call one day and uh, said I'd like you to come over, have a chat, went over and he said to me, Oh, I've got young some young centre forwards here who don't know how don't know how to be centre forwards. I know you know how to be a centre forward. You might not play every week, but I want you to just be an example. Like you know, be yourself. So I went yeah. in there, like, and uh, I was there three weeks. I went to see the Jerry, and I said, you know, it's centre forward. I think he's, he's got half a chance. And that was Des Les Ferdinand. The kid that, I don't know, sometimes when you look too close to it, you don't see 
this kid, I walked in, everything I could do, even in me pump at Coventry or West Brom and all that, he could do and more. And yeah. I'm looking at this kid like, Jesus Christ. I mean, if I'd have been a young kid, I'd have been jealous as I'd be like, I'm never going to get a game because this kid's fantastic. But this third yeah. year, he could do everything. And so, like, I ended up, I played a few games, but mainly um, played reserves or on the bench. And then um, yeah. I did two years of that. And then I, I was come, so I come to a point where I had, to, I had to go and play somewhere. I had to go enjoy me, me last few years because I know now I'm 32, 33. It's, it's done. But I want, yeah. I, I want, I, now it's funny. When, when you're a kid, and you, you get blase about it. When you're older, you want to enjoy every minute. You want to play. You want to get the atmosphere and just be part of it again. So like, I got the chance to go to Cardiff, met some great friends in Cardiff, had a great couple of years there. And then the Ackers called me to go to Northampton, which was, was the strangest one. Not strange, but <coughs> I've been uh, I've been sent off for Cardiff, which is a surprise to anyone that's seen me play. And uh, <laughs> I got sent to um, go scouting. Terry Arthur is a gaffer. And Terry yeah. Arthur, New, New York Coventry. Get yourself off good, good scout. What's his, the team we were playing against? So I went to Blues. And I was at Blues. And Ian Atkins was scouting. But he was at Northampton. So he was looking at a couple of players. We were chatting away. What are you doing with yourself? I said, well, we got sent off. Oh, there's a shock. I said, but it wasn't my fault. So we've gone through the full bit. Watched the game. Chatted together. That was it. About two months later, um, I get another phone call. Atkins like, how are you doing? Are you enjoying it? Yeah, yeah. My wife then, I just got married again about a year before. Um, my wife was pregnant um, and I was sort of flitting between Cardiff and um, Birmingham. And he said, um, the gaffer, I want you to come down until the end of the season. We just need to stay up. If I can keep, keep this club up this season, then we can move on again. But I want you to come. And I was like, nah, you're all right. But I went to have a conversation with him and um, conversation went well. Ended up I had no intention of signing. I think that was on the Thursday, Friday. I had no intention of signing. Got there for nine o'clock, 12 o'clock I'd signed. Played on the Saturday. And um, I think Ray Warburton was playing in the team. Ian Sanson was playing. Um, and, um, I think Woody, Woody was a keeper. David Norton was there. Bernie Gallagher, who I knew from Villa anyway. And like, Andy, I tell you, like, you walk into Northampton, or well, you'll say the same thing. And like, considering when I was at, I think I was at West Brom as a kid and my brother played for Northampton on loan for three or four games. And I didn't know that. What was your brother called? Keith. He oh, came okay. on loan from Coventry. But okay. me and the old man went to watch him play for at Northampton when it was the, the three-sided with the cricket pitch and that. Cricket yeah, game. yeah, yeah. By the time we turned ground. up, yeah, we're looking at the... We walked in, like, games already started. We walked in, like, can't see him anywhere. What's going on? And we're like, this is in disgrace. He's been sent to Northampton to have a game, like, and uh, he's not he's not on the pitch. And then we look in and I'm going, there's only 10 men playing here. And <laughs> somehow he'd managed to get himself sent off in about 15 minutes. So that was <laughs> that was one of the first times I've been to Northampton. I'd obviously seen on telly a lot, but I walked into the new I drove up, saw the new stadium, and um I don't know, I walked in and I think Janet was on the club shop and that, and I said, Oh, I'm here to see Mr. Atkins and that. And they make you feel so welcome. And I'm yeah, quite lucky here. Yeah. Got a chat with that Atkins was trying to bully me at the side of the contract. And uh, the, the money was crap, but I just I walked in, no intention of signing. Met everybody, really friendly club. Next thing I'm playing on a Saturday afternoon, shouting and hollering at people. We play <laughs> enough, we do well enough to stay up that season. And then um, the following season, that's when, like I said, uh, started the season. I think Jason White had come in, and I was doing a lot of work with Jason. And um, 
I think I played the game. I was on the bench. And the Akers went, go on, get on for 20 minutes. I went on, me and Owen Martin had another set to. And I thought, I can't be doing this. And then I just said to Akers, thought, you know, I'd rather work with the kids and that. Now you're yeah. you'll be paid good money. I said, well, we'll see what, how it goes. Anyway, I ended up coaching the reserves. And playing so, um, so Tomo, um, just, just some context. <laughs> we'll, we'll bring Andy in here, just for some context about the club when you when you signed. Uh, Andy, um, uh, I think Tomo signed in 95. What, what, would, what were yeah. Cobblers like at that, at that point? Well, not very good, um, to be fair. Obviously, John Barnwell had been the manager for the yeah. last 18 months or so, and the, and the club was really struggling. They, they had a lot of younger players, well-meaning younger players, but not physically strong and mentally strong enough, on, by, by and large. And um, Ian Atkins came in quickly, which was his strength, really, quickly identified two or three key players he wanted in key positions, um, quickly signed up Gary Thompson as well. Um, and all of a sudden, um, he still had Samson and Warburton there, of course, which, Barn, which were Barnwell signings, but he obviously identified they were two strong characters. And, and all of a sudden, you know, there was a nucleus in place of a, of a side that had all a good all and so it built up. Obviously, when Tomo came in, um, the club and the team were not in a very good place at all. No, That's and um, I think the uh, the Birmingham link, um, Tomo's already talked about quite a few yeah. Birmingham players or Birmingham Midlands-based players that I had actually identified. But I've written a list of some of the Birmingham-based yeah. Midlands-based players. And uh, there's a guy called Derek Mountfield, who's a Villa, Villa player, isn't he, Tomo? Yeah, yeah. He was there for a bit. Dean yeah. Peer, obviously, he played yeah. for Birmingham City. Yeah. Uh, David Norton played for the Villa. Yeah. Roy Hunter was at West Brom, although yeah, I think he's from the northeast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, David Rennie played for Birmingham. Already? Yes. Ready. <laughs> you can tell us about him. In fact, I'm going to ask you a little bit about these characters in a minute. You can tell us what they were like. Yeah. Ian Clarkson played for Birmingham, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. John Frain, same. Uh, mm-hmm. John Gale, obviously a massive character. Um, maybe Tomo, you can tell us a few about a few of those names that I've talked about, like what they were like. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, like you say, you're right about Warburton and um, them being the, the, the strength, the base at the back. The likes of uh, Clarkson, who came uh, as a, the, a right back, very lively lad, very witty, very amusing kid, honest, hard working full back, um, covered ground up and down. He had a horrendous injury at Northampton. I think uh, there was a challenge, I, can't, I think it was Lincoln City. And the lad challenged him, broke his leg. And like, um, yeah. he was never the same player after that. But uh, another blue nose, but another... In fact, there was Clarkson, Pia, Frayne, Roy Hunter, Mickey Warner at times, myself. We ended up having a car school. So we'd, we'd meet up in Birmingham and um, we'd travel over to Northampton every day. But I ended up coaching on the other side, so they'd have to wait for me. And then obviously the Johnny Gale turned up. And the Johnny Gale situation, when... Uh, we played Swansea in the playoff final, the first the first playoff final. And as I'm walking up the tunnel, this is just as they're about to go out to Wembley. Um, Gailey had this thing. I think we beat Bristol Rovers in the playoff semi-finals, and yep. Gailey was intimidating as Gailey can be. And like yep. uh, walking up the tunnel, and um, I think it was I think it was Roger Freestone, the goalkeeper for Swansea. You'd have to check who this is. But he, he's looking across, lovely lad. Looks at everyone's in the line, looks across, and he's like, oh, all the best, big fella to the opposition. Gailey, do you mean all the best? 
Bagali had that thing about him, but when he started talking, and John had a stutter, but yeah. he was menacing. So when he went, you fucking mean all the best. And all of a sudden, every, the whole atmosphere changed. So like, there's me, coaching. I'm walking up, excuse me, excuse me, trying to get to the front. And all yeah. of a sudden, like, he's kicking off between the two of them, like. But Roger, Roger Freestone doesn't want anything to do with John Gale. And most people in their right mind don't want anything to do with John Gale <laughs> when he's got that head on, like. But John Gale then has got that intimidating one on. So he goes, what are you looking at? I'll have you and you and you. So he's got to do that. The list of about four of them. One lad standing in mind in his own business, Carl Eggs. Carl Eggs went, I ain't scared of you, big man. I'll have you. So I get there at the time, just as this is happening. And so uh, I'm like, hang on, lads. You've got a game in a minute. Like, their their, um, assistant manager, I can't remember his name. You'd have to check who his name was. But he had big, big, tall fella, centre-half, had a moustache like Magnum. Now, he's their assistant manager. And he leans across and he says, these these lads can't fight. He says, Tom, me and you can show out to have a fight. And I was like, we're at Wembley. What are you you on about? (laughs) Anyway, the thing sort of breaks up. We win the playoff final. Franey scores the goal. Two months later, I finish, we finished the training. Coming in, at, what Akers used to love to do was anyone he signed, he always used to say to me, oh, so just you turned up at the club shop. You meet him, show him around the ground and bring him up to see me. So that was a plan. So he goes, oh, there's a lad coming to see us. Like, I said, oh, yeah, who's that then? He said, oh, you'll, you'll see him in a minute. Because like, Andy will tell you, Akers could waffle you off at the slightest thing. So if you wanted to know something, he didn't want to tell you. He'd just mumble. So he waffled me off with a... <laughs> you're, not, you're not making any sense. What are you on about? Anyway, I walk in the, the, the club shop. Who's standing at Carl Eggs? So I see Eggs and I'm like, hello, mate. And then he's minded, like, yeah, all right. He says, I'm here to meet Mr. Ackes. I said, like, I'll get the call up. I said, well, do you want to walk around the ground? Show him the ground. Come back in. Gailey's wandering about, isn't he? So I go upstairs <laughs> to see Ackers. Next thing, there's a phone call and I can hear Janet screaming on the phone, he's kicked off. <laughs> so I I fly down the stairs, burst through the door, like, and Gailey and Exit have been at each other, hammer and tongue, the computer's been broken. <laughs> Apparently, he'll deny it to his dying day, but Frayne and Clarkson are hiding behind the club shop, <laughs> the, the, the door, like, so no one can see him, like, the cupboard. So they're hiding. So I bowl in. We managed to get them apart, like. Now, uh, Exit has his shirt ripped, but Gailey's got a bloody nose. So, like, no one realises Carl Eggs is, is a wannabe boxer, isn't he? So apparently, I mean, I, I didn't see this, but from what Franey was saying, that Gailey threw the first two punches and Hazy threw the next four, and that was it. He knocked him back and it was game over. And they're trying to laugh now because you can't laugh at John Gale because he will kill you. So therefore, that, that's how he sort of breaks up like that. I take Hazy upstairs, um, and he actually looks at Hazy and says, well, What's up to you? Oh, I just had a discussion with Gailey. The funny thing was, we were, I went downstairs, said to Gailey after, What are you doing? We just got signing for a club. He's one of us now. And Gailey went, Big man, I've got to have you call me out. I've got to have you off of you. Once we've had it off, straighten up, we're cool. And the two of them were fine after that day, like not a problem. But Gailey had to, you couldn't stand up to him or he'd have to fight you. Once yeah. the fight was done, he was good as gold. And from then on, they just got on, they were like, got on a house on fire. We did, because we used to call Gailey the sheriff because he was, he was the main man in town, as it were. And so, like, obviously, we get in the car, driving back to um I'm driving, and I said, uh, word on the street, there's a new sheriff in town. His name's Carl Higgs. Gang, <laughs> pull the fucking car over. I'm only messing about, big fella. Otherwise, he'd have killed me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, those, uh, you know, that that's quite an old school way of sorting a problem out. But they had a bit of tension in the past, and it, it got resolved. And then, uh, you yeah. know, Cobblers got to Wembley again. So it worked out all right in the end. Yeah, I mean, 
as I say, from that day then, never had a problem together. Worked really hard. I think we got Ali Gibbon by then as well. So we had some serious pace down the flanks. Um, that that team that went to the second time, the sem- the final, um, you kind of felt we were going to go through. Won the first the first playoff, we were going to win the second one. And I, I can't remember what the score. Did Woody save the penalty that day or whatever? But yeah, it was one yeah, yeah, so we ended up getting beat. And like after the playoff final, I think Akers had a chance to. There was rumours he was going to go to Northampton. Uh, not Northampton, sorry, Norwich, as uh, yeah. they were interested in taking his manager. And like me and Kevin Wilson, the assistants, we were both saying at the time, like we can half build something here. As if we could go on for another. We felt with the crew, we could go on for another year. We could take it a bit further again. We knew yeah. if we did go up, it was going to be a difficult year. But we had what we nucleus to what we had was honest, hardworking, and we could cope with it. So like um Anakas went for the interview, came back, didn't get the job. And like um I started the preseason and the the, the feeling had changed. I think the there was a feeling about Akers, and I think you summed it up earlier. When he first goes into a club, he recognises what needs to be done very, very quickly and organises yeah. from there. And like uh, I think almost not not he'd overstayed his welcome, but Almost it a bit got a bit too samey for the uh, the fans or whatever because the feeling for me the start of that next season was different. And then, um, like I say, I had the conversation. Ian Ian Oliver, I knew from QPR, he was desperate to sign David Seal. David Seal, who we'd signed, David Seal and the Italia, great goal scorer, fantastic goal scorer. But if David Seal scores a goal in the fifth minute, you might as well bring him off because he ain't giving you nothing else. He's doing his bit. And so like. Yeah. Oliver's talking to me about David Seal. He says, Tyler, Tyler, David Seal. And I went, Ollie, look, you mean, mate? And like, I'll tell you the truth. I said, Sealy's a great finisher. I said, but if he scores after 10 minutes, get him off. Because that, that, you won't get much more out of him, but he can score goals again. Yeah. And like, um, he, he, economical with his work rate, shall we say. And then um, we carried on chatting, and he said, You know, who I really want to sign, though. And I'm like, well, I thought this was about David Seal. He went, No, you. And I was like, Ollie, I'm too old to play like. He went, no, nah, I want you to come and take me reserves. So I went back and I said, look, I've got to speak to Ackers. Spoke to Ackers, told him the situation. And the Ackers um, said, look, if it's about money, I want you to stay, blah, blah, blah. And I said, it weren't. It was more because Kevin Wilson had come in and he was assistant manager. And then we were both assistant managers. But I just felt that the thing, the feeling had changed within the club. And uh, yeah. I just, they, they were offering me a four-year deal and he was going to give me responsibility for organising the first team all the, the, the tactics, the training, all that game, like because Holly yeah. was still playing. So for me, it was a, it was an improvement, a step on. So in the yeah. end, I spoke to Wackers about it, and um, I ended up going. But he tried to pull me back. I, I was going down to Rovers on this, the Monday for, for the conversation, and uh, uh, Northampton were playing, and it was Tony Adams was coming out of jail, and the game was at Sixfields, and he went, "If you think anything about this club and these players, you'll come and manage the team for this final reserve game." And I was like, why? Because Tony, Tony Adams is coming out of jail. He's playing for the Arsenal against against Northampton. He said, it's going to be a fantastic game, fantastic atmosphere. But uh, as he gave it a miss, and quite glad I did, to be honest. Yeah, uh, by that point, you'd won the the reserve league with Northampton, hadn't you? You'd, uh, you'd done really yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, like I say, I had some good players. I mean, we had the likes of Paul Conway who came over and never really got a game. But as a midfield player, Playing in that level, even it's different class. I had players who could score goals. I had uh, Nicky Warner, was superb for me in the midfield. Uh, we had a, a winger called Claudio De Vito, who was very, very good and should have gone on to do even better with his career. I had kids who came at the first team into the reserves. Their attitude was per- was great. 
I mean, they they like they like me anyway. I got on well with them, so they wouldn't yeah. shortchange me. Plus, the young kids want to be in the reserves. There, it, when you're in a winning side, a winning reserve side, people normally players don't want to play in reserves, but people didn't mind it because they were winning. There was always a good atmosphere. You got a few fans down at the six fields. It was a nice nice feel about it. Plus, I always took them out for a drink after and all that. So, yeah, the whole <laughs> thing went, went very well. The budget wasn't partic- particularly strong, though. And uh, Andy can come in at this point. Um, Andy, can you perhaps sum up a little bit about that, the season that Tomo's been talking about, you know, after after the second Wembley final and it started to tail off? What what There was a few off-the-field problems, wasn't there? We just didn't fit together yeah. well, did it? Yeah, we touched on this the other other day, Tom. I think you know yeah. from from the start of the the campaign, uh, and Tomo's right. The, the the probably the feeling wasn't quite the the same. The football was very samey. It wasn't the the most entertaining, um, and I don't think, to be fair to Ian Atkins, he had the best of luck in that season with injuries, and there was a lot of stuff playing out with with personality clashes and what have you and um, a bit of dressing room friction and Andy Woodman, you know, the problems with him and him leaving the club. There was a whole long litany of of stuff that just went wrong and um, the wheels came off and we ended up getting relegated and the the fans just got frustrated because the football wasn't great and the results weren't great. And yeah, it seemed a long time ago, those previous two seasons. But that's, that's, that's football sometimes, I guess. And, um, how would yeah. you, uh, Tomo? How would you, how would you sum up Ian Atkins, you know, time them and what sort of manager and, you know, your your relationship with him? How would you sum that up? Didn't really know him before I went there. I played against him a few times, and uh, obviously we'd had been mucking that or smashing into each other and all that. But uh, you know, had a healthy respect for each other as players and that. Didn't know him as a coach. Knew about him because Akers had been coaching, doing a bit of blues, Ipswich, whatever. He'd managed a couple of times. But he was still a novice manager learning the ropes. But as we say, his strength was going into anywhere. And I think I said this to people earlier, he can size up what's wrong at the club, what's needed at the club, and get gel it together in a way quickly to get results. And that, that's I think that's what his strength is. And I think I've told him this. And like, But the problem is that after a bit, you've got to take it on to another level because fans, and we're all the same with you, Villa fans, Northampton fans, Liverpool fans, you want your team to be winning, but then you want to, OK, we've got, we're, in, we're in the mire. We'll find a way out of it, but now we've got to develop. We've got to play better football, or we've got to be more expansive, or whatever. And uh, yeah. there was there was always a problem with Akers doing that. That's why he had me and Kevin. We would work with the strikers, the wingers. We'd work with midfield players, and we'd always do different things and different formations, different movements about creating more opportunities to score goals. Because playing the way Akers wanted to play, and this is a guy who's one of my best mates, by the way. Now, yeah, so I ain't like I slagging him off or anything, but playing that way will only get you a certain so far. So you have yeah. to expand on it. And like, I think there was always a reluctance to go another level. Now, Ian Atkins, I speak to him about football on a regular basis and he knows the game. He knows what he wants. He, he can spot a good player in that. I think when you become a manager, it becomes so results driven that you're almost cautious and you stick with what you know. But yeah. your better ones have to develop. Have to, you, life is a process of developing anyway. Everything you're doing, you're developing, you're learning. Okay, I'll move on to that now. I did that before, that didn't work out, I'll try this. You yeah. can't play the same way. In the first two years, we played a certain way, we got results. The next year, and like we say, bringing the likes of Chrissy Freestone, who was a very good footballer. In fact, who did we sign? Dobson. We signed a left back from the Albion. Uh, uh, Dobson? Tony yeah, Dobson. Tony Dob- 
Yeah. What a good footballer that kid was. I, I had to watch him five times in scouting, and I said to Rackers, good footballer, knows the game, positional sense, superb, blah, blah, blah. No good for us. What do you mean no good for us? Because Akers, I said, you, he'll want to get it off the keeper. He'll want to get it off the centre back, play it into midfield, get it back, clip balls into centre forwards and that. You don't want to play like that. So if you're changing the style, Tony Dobson's perfect. I'm getting Tony Dobson. Bought in Tony Dobson. I think Paul Wilkinson came and a few others. But he still wanted to play the same way. So then you had a problem because I don't, I'm not sure Dobbo played a lot of games. And he's a lovely kid, by the way. I ended up looking after him a fair bit. And you get the disgruntlement, the loss of David Rennie because David Rennie's used to having his own way as well. And then you get problems because senior players and your better players, if they're turning against the manager or not happy with what's happening, you've got a massive problem. And like, uh, I think that, that was the start of it. He was trying to develop it, but not really with his heart and soul in it, if you know what I mean. So it was always yeah. going to be a problem. I guess it's also, you know, um, with, in defence of Atkins to an extent, uh, it was, he, the, the budget was never particularly good at Cobblers. He uh, he had to deal deal with you know the the re- realities of managing uh, a club with the resources we had and um, yeah. he he did he did it he did it overall did a did a great job and probably as as Cobblers fans some of our best memories in those days like with a with a, a team that was really together that. for the most part yeah I, I remember um, I'd, I'd gone to Bristol Rovers and it was uh, just around the time where um, Northampton were in danger of going down. And I can't remember, the lad rang me and he, he said, well, what about Akers, blah, blah, blah. I bet you'd be happy looking at the situation now. And I was like, no, I said, like, this is a club that I did. I, I covered miles for that club scouting, doing stuff for Akers. There's a, it's a feeling for me for Northampton. I, want, I love that being at that club. I love the people there. There's no way I want to see them get relegated. And I yeah. remember saying to him, you got, I said, people aren't happy with Akers at the minute. And I know it being a directorial thing and change it, turn against him and all that. But I said, like, he's give this club more memories in the last two years than they've had for a long time. And you've got, uh, in, in time, you look back at that and say, oh, there were special times in that. And I know after that, like, different managers came in and things went, went really well at different times in that. But for a club that was basically on its knees, Akers went in there and managed to lift it up quickly and get us the playoff finals two in two years. You've got to say, it was some achievement. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I... I... I'd agree with that entirely, what, what Tom has just said, really. I mean, Ian Atkins divided opinion. Um, for me, and although we had our ups and downs through the, the four or five years he was there, um, as Tom has said, he provided Northampton Town with two fantastic years and two fantastic years full of great memories and yeah. honest players and good team spirit and a good togetherness around the club, which we probably haven't had since those days, um, maybe the Chris Wilder year apart. So I think for that, you know, he should be remembered fondly by Cobblers fans. Yeah, it was a bit of a renaissance, I, I, I say, in, in the football club. Uh, I watched, we, both me and Andy watched the club at the, the previous three-sided ground. And there were dark days. We came, we came through it with a support, very strong supporters trust. But yeah, um, the... Yeah, the the Atkins years can be seen as a, a, a rebirth, and the club getting some pride, some pride back. Not knowing for being, you know, getting thrashed every week for, you know, going going to places and people like yourself, Tomo and John Gale and all the other Cobblers players, they they were prepared to front it, you know, and that's yeah. what we needed at the time. We needed a bit of pride, really. Yeah, there's, there's an expression. I love to use a Birmingham expression, but we used to say you stand on. You know, when people are coming up against you, 
you stand yeah. firm, you stand on, you say, that's it, you're not, you're not walking past us. Where I come from in, in Birmingham, Kingsley, it makes it sound like we're rough as hell, we're tough, but we're not used to um, being walked over. We won't allow people to take liberties. And you look at John Gale, he comes from the same area as me, like, um, we, we, we stand on. And so, like, Hackers wanted players who would come and do that. Johnny Frey, exactly the same. Ian Clarkson, exactly the same. Dean Pierre, exactly the same. And I suppose he wanted that, that blue nose, that attitude, that mentality. And I yeah. think by trying to develop it with the likes of David Rennie and people like that, you're getting better quality, but probably not the same sort of strong mentality. Woodman and uh, David Rennie had a fight, I remember, one day. And uh, Andy Woodman, is a, I love Woody to death. I knew him at Palace as a kid. and like, uh, But Woody can't fight. David Rennie can talk a, a great fight. David Rennie can't fight. It was what, what, watching two birds. And we were like, what were you two doing? And it was the attempted gut. We said, oh, time in the game. And it was the most embarrassing situation I've ever seen. And I said, saying back is, have you seen what you brought into this football club? And I was only joking. They'd be like, you're fucking right, you're fucking right. So, like, you know, this one of those situations. You, you bring in, you got, I think I was talking to someone the other day because Gary Penrice has just gone to Celtic as um, director of football, or he's about to go as a chief scout director of football, whatever. And I said, Penny and myself learned very quickly that it's all about character, the character of the people you're bringing in. Great ability. Generally, you look at the divisions, there's the players you look at at that level have got the ability to play at that level. Have they got the mentality to go up again or to stand on when the going gets tough? Yeah. Anyone can play well when it's going well. It's when it ain't going too well. Can you stand on? Can you say, hang on, this ain't happening no more. I think I can't. I think it was Barry or someone. We went to Northampton. <laughs> we were going to wait to Barry or somewhere like that. And we got battered for about 89 minutes. Yeah. Woody was trying to kick, kick the ball off at his goal line. He kept, the wind was blowing it back into the uh, into him. Like, and we used to say, like, yeah, these slippers on. Like, Get, put some football boots on. Try and kick the ball. We stuck a 1-0 win. David, uh, Jason White scored with our only kick of the game. Like, and Akers was like David Pleat running on the pitch because we'd been battered, defended properly, and we got a 1-0 away from home. That was the happiest I've ever seen him. Like, and we always threw it back to him, like, that's you all day, 1-0 away from home. Like, the team really snookers, that's you all day. But it's results. What was yeah. uh, Jason White like, uh, Tomo? <laughs> good lad. Very good lad. Very quick, um, driven, because he was at Derby as a kid, and he, he, he got binned out of Derby, went to Northampton, and I think he scored about 18 goals or something like that the one, that year. And like, um, but we used to say he had his boots on the wrong feet because he could hit the top, he, he could score a goal. But the amount of times, because I used to work with him as a, a centre forward, and I'd take him off on his own. And I'd say, come on, and I'll get a load of balls. And I'd have my lad with me. And initially, I used to put my lad in goal because he fancied himself as a keeper. And in the end, he used to stand at the side of the pitch, him and his mate. And like I said, just go and get the balls because he, he, he could hit the target, but generally, nine times out of 10, he wouldn't. And he'd be going all over the place. He'd be killing people in the stands and that. So it was a lot of work. But as a, as a, as a lad, keen to work, keen to learn, keen to develop. And ended up that season, you have to check the records, but he scored a lot of goals for us. Pace down the side, could finish. Pace down the side, could kill someone in the stand. But every now and again, he'd get a winning goal for us. And like, at that level, it was just what we needed. He was a very, he was a, he was a crowd favourite, um, probably like an unusual sort of style, like especially for now. You don't see, won't see a player like him really. But he like he would chase, he would chase the ball. Um, you know, he could take the keeper on and stuff like that. And he he scored some important goals. Really, really like a well liked player at Cobbers, wasn't he, Andy? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone loved 
Whitey. Whitey was a different class as a fellow. Like, come in, and he'd uh, laugh and joke with everybody, good, good attitude, good nature about him as well. People warmed to him straight away. And the best one for all that was Jason Beckford. He never really showed at Northampton what he was about, but this was a kid who I saw as a 17-year-old, 16-year-old playing for Man City who, without injury, would have been like a, a big name, a big, big player. Ended up having the injury, come to Northampton, couldn't really get around the pitch, but could show quality. And like the two of them, as a, as a double act, were as funny as anything I've ever been around. Like, I mean, <laughs> I spoke to Becky the other day. We had, uh, we had a, a Zoom thing where it was me and Dean Pierre, Clarkson, Mickey Warner, and uh, uh, Ryan Turner. And we've ended up having a, a nice conversation that 10 minutes later developed into just a slagging match for like 45 <laughs> minutes. But uh, it's, it's one of them where we all grew up, to, we're not grew up together, but we developed together, me as a coach, uh, coming to the enemy career, them as players, and it's Northampton time. And we, it's never changed. That group will be with me till the day we die. That we are like, we're just mates. What a nice uh, end to the, your career, um, because you, like you said, you, you hadn't really planned to finish, uh, go on beyond 30. And then you had, the, you had this light and sort of twilight of Fury. You had this really nice, nice time at Cobbler. That's really, really cool. Yeah, it was perfect because I got back to the Midlands, as it were. And Akers was brilliant because when I first went that season, Terry Yorath had come in at Cardiff and he'd ran a stupid for about three weeks, got us fit. And then like uh, I'd got myself to a level of fitness, which I hadn't had for a um, maybe a couple of years before, all of a sudden I went straight to Northampton, worked out really, felt at home, Mrs. had had the bab, so uh, I was close to home as well, and then uh, ended up going into a coaching thing as well, which I hadn't planned to, oh, I thought about it, but I hadn't really made any set, set plans to do it, but loved coaching and working with kids and developing kids, and then, uh, but it was a nice atmosphere, a nice place to do it, with a club that was winning games, so all of a sudden, the whole club at the time had a bubbly feel about it. If you remember us going out because there was loads of functions that year the playoff final, play, first playoff final year loads yeah. of functions and i ended up staying in northampton an awful lot there was so much the socializing was brilliant the atmosphere was brilliant the fans were behind us all the way even in the bad days i mean i, I mean people would have a go say it's someone like ali gibb you'd hear you're fucking rubbish gibb but then he'd beat someone and get across in the box and everyone would be hugging each other like I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, he's not rubbish now. And all of a sudden, like, he'd, he'd kick one over the bar again. Yeah, he's fucking rubbish. But it was, there was a feeling about the place, about the fans. They, we were all in it together, which don't happen very often at football clubs. Do you remember that uh, when we won at Wembley in 97, the Market Square, the thing around the Market Square on the open top bus? Were you, did you go on that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, when I, we, like, obviously, Frank scored the goal. We got on, on the, the, the Market bus and that. Well, we've gone around the, the square, as you say. And we're on the coach and, and, and the bus, shall I say. And it was just uh, a surreal atmosphere because everybody was out and it was a, a lovely sunny day. And it, thousands it was, of people. Yeah. It's, it's, but then you think, well, can it get much better than this? But because of the way we've gone and I look at the people around me and they talk about having people in the trenches. I'm looking at them boys and thinking, yeah, we can go on again. And to be fair, for a team, you look at where we, we got straight into the division. You look at that team thinking, well, they they'll be mid-table. And we went in, got into the playoffs again. Like That team, I believe, could have gone on another step. And I just think that maybe fate, it was that maybe it was our time, but things didn't work out. As you say, Akers worked with a horrendous budget. It, the budget was nothing. We used to talk about players who come to the club. And we'd always say, players used to come in and have a chat with him. And like I remember saying to Eggsy and all them, like say, like, make sure you got your belt. And Woody started it saying, make sure you wear a belt and braces when you go in with Akers, because you go in with a conversation and somehow he pulls your pants down. You end up signing for next to nothing. <laughs> so we'd say to everybody, 
belt and braces kick back, you got a belt and braces on. But Akers, no matter how he did it, the money the money was crap, but somehow you'd sign. And then you'd be walking away thinking, hang on a minute. <laughs> but that's, that, that was the beauty of it. And you wouldn't, you weren't grudging doing it because you were happy to be at that place. Like You knew he'd yeah. mugged you off financially and you knew that even in the tough times, you could look around and know that people would be battling with you. And I, t- I tell you, I've been 20 years at it. Like you can't, you don't get that many places. You can't buy that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, funnily enough, you um, Atkins got one over at Ian Holloway in the uh, in the playoffs uh, yeah. in our Bristol Rovers, yeah. and then you ended up at Bristol Rovers yourself, like uh, as assistant, and then you actually managed in proxy for a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, to be fair, that was me undoing because. The playoff semi-final, the first game, I think we played down at Bristol Rovers. Uh, it was a lovely sunny day, and the chairman, uh, I think he had his wife on the on the pitch, giving it a big one before the game and all that. And it was a lovely day and all that, and they they beat us. I can't remember the score, maybe three one or something like three, that. Three one, yeah, three and, one. Uh, yeah, they beat us, and I remember going in the dressing room after, and we were all fuming because they're, they're more or less singing, we going to Wembley and get you know get yourself ready for Wembley and all that. Like, and I could, I remember sitting down, I could say, listen. People think this game's over. You look at them, they got a feeling this game's over. From now, I think, say the game was on the Sunday, say. He said, from now to the Wednesday, he said, we are going to work and we are going to get this team. We are going to get this result because this ain't over. And from that moment, everything we said, every message we emphasised to the players was, this still had a chance, still had a chance. This was still in it. Like I say, up to the point where Galen is threatening people in the, in the tunnel for going out there and he's intimidated by them. So Akers always says, when you speak to him, he'll say, we won the game in the tunnel because the yeah. atmosphere was so intense with Northampton fans, but with big Johnny Gale that day. Just basically, Gale looks at you, you kind of melt anyway because he's just a beast. And like that day, they just they just stepped back. We won the game. It was one of the best nights we had at Six Fields anyway. It was yeah. a fantastic atmosphere. We won the game off to Wembley. And then you look at that crew, you think, yes, that, that team could go on because not the best footballers in the world, but people, character, just what you need. Yeah, uh, Chris Chris Freestone, who I spoke to previously, said a funny story about John Gale like trying to bounce the ball off of, uh, Bristol Rovers players' heads in the tunnel. Yeah, and... yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was one and of his little like, tricks. In, intimidating people all the time in different ways, like, and he'd, he'd do that, and all of a sudden, like, people would, because you turn around, who's doing that? And also, you want to fight. You look at the size of Gale, and yeah. even though, I say gentle giant, it takes a lot to ride him, but he looks so menacing. You're like, yeah. I, don't really, I don't really want any of that, like, because he's going to hurt me. So you let it go. But like I say, went, went to, um, went from there. Uh, obviously, went to Bristol Rovers, coached there, and like, um, ended up happy being coaching. All the way, um, lost his way a little bit, and then uh, he got the sack. And me and Penrice had to stay to be. Uh, they decided they wanted caretaker managers. So we had to stay to be caretaker so Hollow could get his money. So that was not a problem because that happens. Like, But we expected if Holloway's getting the sack, we all go. And that's when uh, I ended up, me and Penrose took the team. Obviously, I'm, I do better talking-wise than that. So I ended up doing a lot of the interviews. And uh, I was caretaker. I ended up, um, we, said, we said at the time, we sold the equivalent of 50 goals. And I remember saying at the time, you, you let these go without getting a replacement. You can't help, you can't stay up because you can't score no goals. And he said, "What?" We got relegated. Um, the following season, Jerry Francis had come in as manager. I knew Jerry was a kid, and like um, he took the team for a certain amount of time. Then he stepped away from it. I ended up having to be caretaker, assistant manager. Then I was manager. And like to be honest, I, I, I loved all the organising, uh, setting up the team, the formation, the planning, and all that. I couldn't deal with the um, 
the, I was talking to Mickey Warner about this the other day. I couldn't deal with the directors after the game or before the game, wanting to know the team, wanting to know the tactics, wanting to know what we're doing. That's really? what you pay me to do, allow me to do my job. And then after the game, fair enough, it don't work out. Tomo, that was crap. Like, Mr. Manager, why on earth are we doing this? And I was like, is that the time? i got to go. And I'd be off to Birmingham <laughs> with my daughter. So, like, uh, I didn't play the game, whereas Akers could play the game, deal with directors. Because after a bit, uh, I remember Kirby saying the same thing to me, um, play the game. If you're going to, these people are through money asset. They want to have a say. They want to believe they've got an input. So give them that. And by then it was too late. Like, I mean, uh, I got I got sacked. Um, it, we stayed up. And then it was, a, it was a situation where you could bring in, we had 18 players at a contract, a, a squad of 30. So yep. we've got the ones ready to come in, but they decided that uh, this was the perfect time to bring in Ray Graydon and he could uh, change it from there. I can, I can stand, I've never had a problem with it, but my, my mistake was knowing my personality, I don't deal with directors particularly well. I'm yeah. better just dealing with players and, and coaching and all that because still, I'm still a child, really. I'm still someone wanting to run around and play football and yeah, yeah. smash balls and skulls. I don't want to do directors and board meetings and all that. That ain't me. Or Ackers. If I'd have had Ackers there at Northampton, uh, Mr. Rovers, would have been fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who was your assistant then when you were like the full-time manager? Who did you have? When I was uh, initially manager, Gary Penrose um, was me, uh, me assistant. But Penny, like, Penny should have had the job and like, he didn't want it. But so I've had to end up taking it. And I bet I was media, better media-wise and all that. Like, so like uh, Penny, Penny was happy to be my assistant. Then Penny um, oh, bottled it. He just, he just said, oh, I can see where this is going. So I'm, I'm going to get away. And he left and I brought Kevin, yeah. Kevin Wilson from in. And I'd known, obviously, Kevin from Northampton. And, like, uh, Kevin came in for a few months. And then uh, I left. I think Kevin stayed for a little bit. But uh, we still, I still speak to Kevin now. Like, we, we got him really well. But he's a football agent now, isn't he? Oh, is he? I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, maybe you were uh, slightly a, a victim of your own success in, in the management to an extent because you'd, you'd done well with Cobbler's Reserves. You'd done well as yeah. a player in the, well, throughout your whole career. You, went, you got a good job at Bristol Rovers quite quickly. Oh. And maybe yeah. the off the field stuff you hadn't been as cute to. So you've been as you, you were good with the man management and stuff, but all the off the field directors, all that stuff, you hadn't had yeah. time to learn it. And maybe if you were doing it now, you'd, you'd probably know a bit more. I, I remember um, a couple of people saying it to me. Redknapp spoke to me one day at a game. We was chatting away, and he said, "Have you made them your mates yet?" And I was like, oh, "Yeah, that." He said, the "Directors, make them your mates because then it's hard to sack, sack your mate, isn't it?" And I was yeah. like, are you, how, how negative are you now? So you've got the good news. And we've been chatting away about stuff, but they're right. You have to, when yeah. you go into a club, and I think Akers in that respect, he didn't care who he upset. I remember one day him having Rebecca Kerr in tears because he had us all playing on the pitch. And she was like, you can't play on the pitch. And he like, no, fucking tell me, I'm doing that. And like, he wouldn't, he could upset everybody, but he could still deal with directors. Now, it comes to upsetting people. I ain't got a problem with that. But, I want to keep my, my babies, my, my teammates, my players. I've got, I've got to do the best for them. I've got to make sure they're treated right and that. And like, I can't be, I can't have people ringing me on a Friday or speaking to me on a uh, Saturday morning. Mr. Manager, what's the team? Yeah. You know the team, everyone else knows the team because yeah. you know, that's why we, we keep it. Because what happens, the more people know, the more he gets out. So I ain't telling you yeah. the team. Yeah. And then <laughs> you get the ump over that. Nowadays, I think about, yeah, who's going to hurt? Because at the end of the day, the, They've seen you play a few times before, so they kind of know what you're going to bring out anyway. But uh, I was like, I'm telling you the fucking team. It's nothing to do with you. But yeah, 
kind of learn your lessons, don't you? Yeah, and um, you, you know, you had a that was a that was a really decent job, and you know, you made a pretty good fist of it. Probably, like I said, maybe came a bit too too early in your, your management career. But yeah, um, yeah. I think um, it fun, funnily enough, it, I, I want to sort of wrap up soon because we've been talking for a while. But um, uh, it, Keith Carroll's manager at Northampton now, and uh, we actually sort of skipped skipped that game when you were playing for Cardiff City. When I think Keith Carroll was playing for uh, Man City in the FA Cup. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, yeah. you managed to knock uh, Cardiff City managed to knock Man City out, and you, you got one over the current Cobblers boss on the pitch. So uh, I reminded him yes. of that. Well, I know um, Curly because he used to obviously started with Wimbledon. He got his big money moved to Man City, and I think by the time he got there, I think I was at Q- QPR. So I played against him a few times anyway, like very, very quick. Um, could play right back or full back occasionally with field in that. But he knew Holloway. Him, Holloway, Kite and Penrose, they all grew up together. So okay. I've kind of knew Curly for years and that. So like by the, by the time we play in that game, like they just, they come down to um, Cardiff. They, was it the fifth round of the cup or something like that? Or fourth round? They, they didn't fourth fancy Fourth round, I think, yeah. Yeah, they didn't really fancy it. Um, they caught against us and we was like mucking metals. We were right in their faces. I think it was blowing. A bit. It was always raining in Cardiff. It was raining. It was windy. And I think Nathan Blake was playing for us. Who was, you know, you talk about gems. He was the one we knew was going to go on. Himself and Stancy were terrorising up front. Um, yeah, it was one of the days where, you know, you, you do, you're warming up and you know you're having it because you look at them and think, they ain't really that keen about it. And we just got about and we won the game. And it, great atmosphere down there and, um, yeah, it's, it's nice to stick it up curly every now and again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you could uh, give him a give him a ring and remind him of that. Say we've been talking about it on the podcast. <laughs> I know the character he is. He'll probably give you a bit back. But, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not shy, kid. He's, he's not he's not a shy retiring type, is he? No, he's not. Um, what are you up to now in terms of football? I know you do uh, media work and that, and are you still involved in the in the game? No, no, not so much now at all. Um, mainly, I, I do the um, the radio, so I cover Villa. Um, home and away, and we got a uh, phone in on a Tuesday night, so I do a fair bit of that. Uh, was a director of a PR company. Um, that my first wife uh, got ill, passed, so I, I quit. I quit that. And I, I just um, I deliver fancy motors for rich people nowadays. In between the radio work, but it gives me the flexibility to do follow the villa all over the place and uh, cover them on the radio. So that's that's all I'm doing at the minute. But uh, like I say, I'd like to be back in football, maybe scouting or something like that. Um, the other day, Jamie Fullerton called me uh, the chance he was going to get the job at uh, Solly or Moors. He thought he, he had a chance of getting it and he wanted me to go as his number two. And I said, look, yeah. mate, I would love to go, says, but my knees wouldn't stand up to it because I'm one of them. If I'm training, I'm I'm, I'm showing you what I'm doing. I'm I'm, I'm doing the, the drills. I'm showing you. Because obviously, the, it's all right talking about it. You've got to be able to show a little bit as well. And I yeah. said, Jay, I could do one day and then my knees would be blown up and I'd be in bits of that. So I was always trying to step away from it. And he went, no, 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 I need you to keep him calm and to be guidance because I'm the older head. And like in the end, he didn't get the job. But I, for the first time in a few years, I thought, ooh. Because I come off the phone and I'm like, nah, not, not having it. I can't be doing all that again. Because essentially, as a manager or assistant manager, you're signing up for a year, 18 months, because the average yeah. is about that. So then I thought, what am I going to give all that for just for 18 months? But then the more I thought about it, I'm like, I warmed to the idea and I was gutted in the end when he didn't get it because I thought yeah. I'd be back in amongst it because that, that's me. I'm a football person. I've been doing it since I was eight years of age. I got to football club when I was 14, 15. This is what I, I, I do. This is what I love. And like, um, yeah. like as you say, I can, see you, I can see you getting back in the game. I can see you getting back in the game and uh, 
with all that experience of you played pretty much every league going, yeah. it's that sort of invaluable experience and, and with your ability to work with the young young uh, kids as well. That's that experience and they'll be invaluable. Anyone that will take you on. So, you know, we, me and Andy wish you like all the best and everything. It's really been really Brilliant. good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. I've yeah. enjoyed it. Cheers, chaps. Yeah, Andy. Um, Andy, how, let's uh, finish up by just sort of um, quickly sort of sum, summarising that those quick those couple of years at 95, 97 that Tomo was at the football club. It, it definitely was a, a period of rebirth for the club, wasn't it? It was. And um, Tomo played a big part in, in, in that. Obviously, Ian Atkins, as we talked about, identified the weaknesses, really strengthened the, the team and, and the club in many ways in, in different areas. And the progression was great to see. You know, um, Tomo's talked about the, the, the strength of the and the character of the players. And that's the bit that, that sticks. And that's what um, marked the club out for its future success, really. And for me, um, as a Northampton fan, it was great to be around the club at that time and and see the club progress from what was a, a very, very low point to two Wembley years and uh, and a great year in the in the third tier as well, which shouldn't be forgotten because um, uh, that was, again, the character of that team coming coming through. Lovely memories. And um, it's good to catch up with Tomo after all those years and, and reminisce a little. Yeah, and um, I think that some of that fighting spirit is what is Keith Carl's trying to instill in the team at the moment. I can see a uh, real strong sort of um, connections there between the two the two styles and the two two ways of just going about the football with with no fear and just you know yeah. like fronting up. Said what I would say what for me characterises a successful side is the strength of character and the team spirit. And Ian Atkins managed to combine all of that because as we've talked about the Birmingham Mafia, a few lads from London, a few lads from Yorkshire, um, from different eras in a way, in footballing eras, but they all came together and shared that same bond and the team spirit was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, the recent year, the recent success under Chris Wilder, I think we had something similar there, which Wilder instilled and no, you know, surprise that he's doing so well at Sheffield United and, and other clubs he's been at. And that's that's the key, really, that team spirit, that fighting spirit will always see you through. Yeah, exactly. If in doubt, just sign Carl Heggs. He'll, <laughs> <laughs> he'll try to put you. You're talking to you, Tom, anyway. And um, we always no welcome problem. back at Sixfields. Really good. All right, nice one. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. Thank Enjoy you. Yeah. Lot. Okay, see you all soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Take it easy, gents. Bye. See ya. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm